I talk about, you know, cancer's taught me so much, like never order a wig on the internet. I ordered <laughs> <laughs> I ordered the Jamie Lee Curtis Pixie and what they sent me made me look like Joe Pesci from my cousin Vinny. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Hello, it is June the 6th as I record this. And I'm finally having what I always imagined would be my ideal Chattanooga life after more than five decades in Alaska. Having moved here less than a year ago, I feel like I'm making friends. Yay! But not just that. I Like right now, I'm sitting in the co-shared office of my apartment building where you might hear the music in the background. And after I finish working with you here today, then I'm going to jump out and have a little swim in the swimming pool. And it's just lovely weather, but not too hot, not too cold, but nice people. I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful for the podcast because more and more recently, I'm starting to feel friendships and alliances evolve from this journey. And it's so exciting. I mean, the people that you think sometimes you might not have much in common with, open your mind up because you absolutely may have that incredible shared experience. So for today, Karen Mills, I got to hear her in the past uh, do her comedy routine and I just had to reach out. And I'm just so grateful that she's now a part of my little universe and she is a Chattanooga a local sort of and uh, anyway, super grateful. We are now in the number 70s of the podcast. Time to invite you to support the podcast in a number of ways. You could write me at lameredith.com by hopping on my email list. Let me know what else you're interested in with the themes of survivors and strivers. Who do you think would be a good podcast guest? Um, somebody who's, I don't mean somebody who waited a long time to publish a book because that's sort of everyone's story that I'm getting lately, but something really unique, a fresh voice that people could really resonate with. It doesn't have to be a writer or a coach, but somebody who is a survivor or striver. Love to hear what you think. Also, uh, always feel free to support me on Buy Me a Cup of Coffee. You are able to do that. And that's just like giving a tip to someone whose show you like. So, I'll post the link and just in general, anytime that you share the podcast or give it a review, you know, give it a few stars, even when you're on your smartphone, super helpful, super, super helpful. Anyhow, you're going to enjoy Karen Mills as much as I did. So let's get started. This interview I'm so excited about because it kind of came about organically. A lot of times I get podcast pitches or there are people I've never met that I interview. But one night I was out with my youngest sister who lives in Kentucky. I live in Tennessee. She's in Kentucky. And we heard the most fabulous stand-up comedian. Karen Mills has been performing with Leanne Morgan for a long time, traveling the country, filling concert halls. But when Karen spoke, Karen is a Chattanooga resident also, like I am newly, 
when she spoke and when she told stories, I we laughed and laughed and laughed. So if you get a chance to hear Karen, who has been a professional comedian for more than 25 years and can be heard on Sirius XM comedy channels every day, by all means, do listen. She has a fabulous and funny and sometimes not so funny story of her own. So thank you so much for being here, Karen. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. I was very jazzed when you said yes. I had like a fangirl moment with my sister. I was like, oh my gosh, she's so good. I wonder if she'd be on the podcast. So this <laughs> was terrific that you said yes. Now, how did you get to become a stand-up comedian? A woman from Tennessee, how, how'd you do it? What's the What's the story there? Well, and to clarify, I'm originally from Cleveland, Tennessee, which is 30 miles up the road. And uh, okay. but I, yeah, I played basketball at UTC, and okay. when I finished my uh, college career, everyone thought that I would be a coach, including me. But I did not love coaching as much as I love playing, and it, I just, I, I just wasn't happy in that role. And so I moved to Atlanta, and I kind of floundered for about six, seven years. I was a mortgage broker and just trying to find my way. And I took an acting class and I loved it. But the one thing I didn't like about um, going out for auditions, you know, you could lose the part because you're too short or you're um, you're the wrong type. And right. so with comedy, I always felt like I had a flair for it. And what I loved about it is nothing else mattered. If you can make the audience laugh, you're in. And so you are a little more in control of your own destiny. And so I love that. And so I, I, every time I'd see Johnny Carson and he would have a comedian on, I'd say, I really think I could do that. So a friend of mine in Atlanta said, well, you need to go to open mic at the punchline and give it a whirl. So I went to open mic. The manager of the club uh, came up to me afterwards and said, you've got the stage presence, you've got the delivery, but you've got to learn to write your own material. Because all I knew to do was tell a joke joke. I didn't know how to take my life experience and turn it into a uh, stand-up. And okay. so I took a writing class and then I went back to the punchline. And after I did my set, he hired me to open. And then I, I just started growing from there and I moved up to feature and then headliner. And now I'm uh, in theaters. I so, you know, it's been it's 28 years this October. So it's it's been a lifetime. But uh, but that's how it all started. That's pretty amazing. So the key things for you were you gave it a try, which had to be nerve wracking, did the best you could listen to the feedback that you were given. And then you gosh, you showed up, you took an acting class and you took writing class. And I, I don't think I would have thought of that route, but that is fantastic. Well, oh, amazing. You um, know, when I when I was um, uh, playing basketball at UTC, uh, they had a thing for the booster club called Meet the Mocks. And every year I would put it together. I would like write it. It was a way to introduce the team. So one year we did a takeoff on Saturday Night Live and I cast everybody and I wrote little scripts to introduce the team. And it was always very funny and very well received. And I re I'll never forget that after that, um, uh, after we did meet the mocks night and, and it was so fun. And, uh, when it was over this, uh, 80 something year old gentleman came up to me and said, what do you plan to do after you graduate? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a coach. And he said, you really need to rethink that. I said, this is your gift. 
And I said, yeah, but I got to make a living. I can't do that. I can't. This is this is fun. This isn't a career. I just had no idea that it could be a career. But I never forgot that. Oh, I love that. I love that. But you listened. You know, it seems like you're a pretty good listener. You listen when people tell you things. At least you you don't just push it away and then keep up with the, what was it, mortgage broker or other things right. that you were doing that probably stole your soul a little bit. So fantastic. That is so exciting. So you've done this almost two decades when you started feeling, I, I watched your TEDx, which by the way, listeners, Karen has a fabulous TEDx that I'll put in show notes, but you were, were doing comedy for quite a long time when you maybe started ignoring some signs that were a little bit serious, like you felt a little round in the stomach. So can you tell us about the time that, you know, you weren't feeling your best and then how it culminated into something different than you thought? Uh, yeah, I was, I had some low energy and, um, and one night out of the blue, I started having severe cramping in my abdomen and, you know, I almost went to the emergency room, but it subsided after about 30 minutes. And so I just blew it off. I thought, you know, everything going on, I thought was menopause because I gained a little weight around my middle. And I've always heard about the middle age spread, the spare tire, all that. So I just said, that's what that was. And um, and I was fatigued. And I also never felt like I could quite empty my bladder. And of course, those things are, apply to every menopausal woman I know. So, uh, you know, tired, little weight gain and uh, have trouble emptying your bladder. So I just thought it was all menopause. And um, I went for a routine checkup. And this was about six weeks after the cramping episode. And the nurse practitioner, she would always bring me into her office and say any questions or concerns, that kind of thing, before we had the exam. And I forgot to even mention the cramping. I mean, it, it, that's how much I dismissed it. And um, so then I said, no, everything's fine. I'm a little tired, but I just figured, you know, menopause. And so we go to the exam room. We're just kind of joking about you know, aging. And, um, as she was examining me, she got to my abdomen and all the blood drained out of her face. And she said, you have a huge mass. So didn't you feel that? And I said, well, I knew it didn't matter what I did. I couldn't get rid of my stomach, but I thought it was just weight I'd gained from menopause. And she immediately sent me for an ultrasound and sonogram and which didn't tell us anything except that I had a huge mass. And so, um, then the next week, of course, everything's happens on a Friday afternoon. So I couldn't get the CT scan or anything until the oh, next no. day. I mean, the next week. And so, um, I got the CT scan and met with the oncologist and a week later I was in surgery and one ovary was the size of a cantaloupe and one the size of a grapefruit. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. At least they're fruits that I personally really like. That <laughs> is amazing. That had to be so uncomfortable to, you know, have that inside of you and then you get used to it. You know, you just think, well, I've gained weight. Well, I feel bloated. Well, what menopausal woman doesn't? Right. So, and, I, and honestly, I felt kind of stupid that something like that was inside me and I didn't realize it. And right. the truth is, you don't know till you know, because you hear all these things about menopause. Now, luckily, people are talking about it more, but 
then it, it was barely mentioned and except for all the things you go through when you hit menopause. And I just, I just wrote it off for, to that. Wow. 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 So I suspect you had to stop working for quite a while. What happened after the surgery? I mean, how, how did that go? Uh, after the surgery, I had a complete hysterectomy and then I had to wait on uh, four weeks for the, to heal from the surgery. And then I started chemo and man, I, you know, I was, a, I was an athlete. I thought I'd breeze right through that, but that was the hardest thing I've ever been through. <laughs> it, did it hurt physically? I mean, what was it like? Well, days three through 10, you know, were the worst. And, um, it's like the, the day you got it and the next day or so you're okay, but then it's set in. And for me, the nausea, I couldn't even turn my head. I couldn't even glance in a different direction without, mm. uh, and it didn't matter how much medicine they gave me for nausea it nothing worked. So, I mean, I, I was really frail, um, and I was trying my best to force food down to keep up my strength to be able to endure it. But, um, but it was the nausea that, that hurt me the, you know, that, that was the hardest thing for me. But, um, and then the last week, cause I had it once every three weeks and that last week you start feeling human again. I could get out and I could do things and walk the dogs and do all that. And, um, then it was time to do it again. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, just when things were getting better, yeah, another yeah. step back. Yeah. Well, how did it go then? Like, how long did you have to do treatment? For six months. Ooh. So I was uh, diagnosed in May, and I finished my last treatment in October of of that same year of t- 2013. And um, and I actually worked a little bit through it when I could get gigs that fell in that third week where I felt pretty good, I would take them because I needed, you know, I needed to work. And, um, and you know, I, I, I did what I did. It was so funny. Um, I take off my jacket, take a sip of water, and then I pop that wig off my head and my the crowd blew up. I mean, <laughs> they blew up. <laughs> and, and other comedians are saying, Oh my gosh, what are you gonna do now when your hair grows back? Because you can't <laughs> I said, Well, I'm not gonna shave my head for a laugh, but uh anyway. <laughs> It's so great that you could even in the moment just incorporate it into the the routine rather than feel like I have to struggle and do it make, make it look like this is easy or keep everything the way it was. You just incorporated it and that takes a lot of self-acceptance. So I mean that's really pretty fabulous. Oh, well, uh, thank you. But, you know, it's just that's always just been who I am, you know, because I know I'm not the only one dealing with whatever I'm dealing with. Right. And um, I struggled with it early on with losing my hair. But um, a friend of mine said to me, because some friends were having a get together and they had planned it on that third week when I felt better and I just lost my hair and the wig looked horrible and I couldn't get anything to look right. And so I sat down and I cried and I didn't want to go. And a friend reminded me that your spirit shines through your smile, not your hair. And that really just was a game changer for me. 
After that, I let go of my attachment to my hair. And instead of seeing myself as a cancer patient, I started seeing myself as a victor over cancer. And that was just part of the process of beating it. And that made all the difference, just that change in mindset. I think that's fabulous. So what was the words again that she told you? Your Your spirit spirit shines shines through your smile, not your hair. Wow. That is so lovely. That really is. You know, as women, it's it's something we're proud of if we have hair, you know, and it's hard to lose hair or even to see your hair thinning as, as a person ages. So for her to give you that glimmer that you could hold on to and then change your mindset, that's pretty amazing. Did your hair, when it grew back, did it change? Yes. Well, the only thing that really changed was I have a cow lick in my crown that I didn't have before. Oh, okay. That's the only thing that changed. And, um, but my uh, my hairdresser said that he had one patient that one side was curly and one side was straight. And so when she would come in, they'd have to decide if they were going to curl the other side or straighten the one side. I mean, it was that's bizarre, isn't it? That is so interesting. Yes. <laughs> You're like a perfect hybrid at that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And when I, when I saw my doctor after I lost my hair, the first thing he said was, oh, good, that lets me know it's working. So that really helped me to embrace it, too. And I was a little hesitant. Um, uh, when I started telling my story, and of course, I use humor for everything, um, I started being asked to speak and do survivor events and that kind of thing. And that's kind of what led to the TED uh, TEDx talk. But um, I was a little hesitant to do it on stage for a regular stand-up show. I was afraid that people would not be able to laugh at it in that setting. But when I set it up, and I, I because I did a short set in Atlanta, you didn't see the the cancer set, but I do it all the time. And uh, people thank me like, you know, for, for telling it and they laugh and, and I've had so many people come up and say, thank you so much for talking about it. It's the first time I've seen my mother laugh since she was diagnosed. I mean, things like that. And there, it gives me hope and thank you so much. So um, as long as I set it up, right. That, um, then they they feel at ease to laugh about it because I say that uh, people the one question people ask me the most is where I get my material and I get it living life good or bad I I find humor in my life experiences and I I just set it up so they can feel comfortable laughing and it ends up um, just I think really blessing a lot of people and I'm very grateful for that. Oh, that is fantastic. And I don't know if you felt this way, but if you have something serious that happens to a, to yourself, like I have had something completely different happen where I th- thought if I talk about it, if I write about it, will I forever be the person who is only thought of as let's say a domestic violence sur- survivor, you know, that was right. my deal was, and for you, a comedian who'd had this amazing and has this amazing career, will I always be the cancer, you know, the cancer survivor, the victor over cancer? And I don't know if that, that worried you at all, if it would just limit you, but it sounds like it is just only served to expand your life and frankly, your message. Yes, I, I feel that way. I don't. I don't feel like it's limited limited me at all. Um, because I, 
it's not just about the cancer. I have so much other material and I'm always adding new material. I guess if, if that's was always my focus, but it's more just, Oh, and by the way, <laughs> you know, I went through this right. and I, right. you know, so no, I, I don't think it defines me, but I do think it expands my, um, my appeal to be honest, you know, with, with people who can relate. And I think it deepens your connection with people. Like, I love that you share it because I think it gives people hope and it frees them up to share their stories also, or to, like you said before, to know that they are not alone. If they're going through something as hideous as cancer can be, that they're not alone and that there can be an amazing outcome because you've done pretty darn fabulous you know, life for all of us throws us throws different things in our way, but you've gone on and, and continued to travel the country and probably beyond. So when did life, when did you know that life was definitely coming back to normal after the cancer journey? Well, it took, um, you know, for the first year was every three month checkup. So, you know, I still felt very uh, connected to cancer uh, through that, even though I was still out working, it was always, how's this checkup going to be? Is it going to be okay? And even though I didn't focus on it, I'm not one to sit and dwell on anything negative. Um, it Just because I had to have those regular checkups and, and to go in and have my CA 125 checked. And that's a that's a blood test. That's a marker for ovarian cancer and it measures inflammation in the body and okay. normal range is zero to 35. And, uh, at the time they did the surgery, mine was at 11,000. Oh so, yeah. so anyway, just always waiting to see where the number was and make sure it was staying in normal range. So that was, uh, that year was a little bit, um, had some anxious moments, but, um, but then, you know, for me, I, I always look ahead. I try not to look behind me. I love it. I love it. Well, that, that's a pretty fantastic story and inspiring. It really is. It's just absolutely inspiring. So when people want to connect with you and see your work and, uh, and, or give comments about what, what it means to them for you to be sharing these things in a way that gives them permission to laugh too. Uh, where do people best reach you? Well, my website is karenmills.com and you can contact me through my website. And then you can also follow me um, on um, Instagram, TikTok, Karen Mills Comedy, um, and Facebook is Karen Mills Comedian. So um, I'm pretty easy to get to, really. You already have the storytelling skills. Are you considering writing a book? Oh, my gosh. You don't know. This, this is a whole other half hour. <laughs> it's like, I, I have so many people say, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. Uh, I've had people say to me, I want to buy the first copy when you finish your book. Please oh. write a book. So this goes on. It, it's a constant in my life. And it's okay. like saying, uh, I want to shake your hand when you get to the top of Mount Everest. Because that's how it feels to me. Oh, no. Like, oh, yes, it does. It is a mountain that I am, I don't know why it's so overwhelming to me. Well, I don't think everyone needs to write a book if they don't feel the, the want to do it. But if you want to do it, you know, I mean, people are really looking for what you have already shared, but just a little more detail around it. The whole thing about writing a memoir, because when I first wrote one, 
I thought it was writing a biography. So I was like, well, where do you start? You know, so I started with my birth, not, not that I remember that. And then I gave all these details and everyone I'd ever dated and all the pets that died over the many, many years, not realizing what, what a memoir needed to be was just that arc of growth where that period of time where there was a transformation. Some people devolve maybe into a life of crime or addiction or whatever. Still a great story. And other people evolve and maybe transcend something that's really difficult. And you already have the bones of that story. So it's pretty exciting. And I think the reason why I ask, I think all of us want to have something that's more permanent. We love your show. We leave feeling amazed and energized. However, having something more permanent in the hand to be able to reread it, all the better. So <laughs> fantastic. Well, it's on, it is something I plan to do. And um, because, you know, do you know about my car accident? No, I think you mentioned something about you're moving a little slower in the mornings when you yep. emailed me. So what happened? Uh, in um, November of last year, I was, well, you're in Chattanooga, so you know Amnicola Highway, right? Yeah. Yeah. Someone pulled out of, um, like I was driving down Amnicola and the car to my right was turning into Chattanooga State and the car sitting to pull out as he had his blinker on and was turning in, he didn't see me on the other side and he just pulled like right out in front of me and it knocked me into oncoming traffic and I was hit again head on and it broke my neck. It broke um, my sternum. It broke six ribs, punctured a lung, uh, broke my ankle, tore my knee, broke my hand. uh, And I had 12 staples in my head. So um, it was, I'm lucky to be alive truly. And I don't think that I would be if I hadn't been in a Volvo. I swear I believe that because the the first impact, the fender buckled under the car. The second impact, the hood shot straight up in the air. But the cage around me, I mean, the airbags and everything deployed, but the cage around me did not collapse. And I really believe it saved my life. But um, But I was in the trauma unit for 11 days and had to go to rehab. I mean, it's been a long recovery and I still have a lot of neck issues and, and things. So, um, so anyway, that, um, you know, I, life throws you some curveballs, but you just have to keep moving, you know? And when you saw me in Atlanta, um, I hadn't been back on the road very long at all. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And I actually saw you in Louisville is where I saw you. Oh, you saw me in Louisville. Okay. Yep. Oh, well, in Louisville, okay, all right, good. Well, in Louisville, I had been on the road then a couple of months. So, Okay, that sounds absolutely terrifying, but there's something when you've already proven to yourself that you have the, kind of have the system of survival. You know, you have survived a difficult thing before, then even though life threw you another curveball, you have been tested and you know that you have the strength to get through a lot of things that had to be really scary. I mean, I will tell you that I find driving in this state because I am from Alaska. I wasn't used to freeways and all of the different things, interstates. It's terrifying to me. It yeah, truly is. So I have my <laughs> GPS set to avoid the highways. And so what might take somebody else 20 minutes will take me maybe 35, but I don't terribly care. I am terrified of the driving here. That must have been really scary. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I had Volvo on call 
And this this kind of kept me from going into any kind of panic mode because uh, at the first impact, I immediately heard her voice say, we know you're in an accident, help us on the way. Oh. And literally by the time I stopped spinning, my car, the car stopped spinning, the EMTs were pulling me out of it. Wow. There yeah. is something so, I mean, this sounds silly, but there's, it had to be something so emotional about that simple message. You know, we know you've been in an accident. We're, there's someone on the way that had to feel really fantastic. It really did. Uh, surprisingly comforting because, you know, you, you, you could have that moment of, does, is anybody calling? Does anybody know, uh, you know, what's, did anybody see what happened? Is, is somebody coming? You know, so uh, it was, it, it brought me a lot of uh, uh, comfort and calm. Good. Good. Yeah. I think we all need that in life. Whatever <laughs> we're going through, we need to hear that voice come through, you know. That's right. Know Even what you're happening. Yeah, yeah, know what's happening and someone's going to be there for you. That is wonderful. Exactly. Well, I commend you on all the things you've gone through that you keep moving forward and bringing joy to the world, which we need to laugh. You know, we really need to laugh. One thing that I, I want people to go to your TEDx because I adore the message at the end about Things that we are allowing anymore to divide us I that know. people seem very, very proud of, you know, very proud to uh, draw a line in the sand and say, I think this way and therefore everyone else is wrong. And I absolutely love your message of how we can get through some of that kind of primate sort of thinking and yes. get back to civility. And, it, you know, it really did inspire me. So I really oh, appreciate you. all you're doing. And thank you so much for being with us today. I've loved it. Thank you so much. I had a ball. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, tell a friend and go ahead and give us a review. I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.